Welcome to Round Hill Radio, the podcast from Round Hill Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we're talking about when we talk about faith. Good morning, Shannon. Hello, Leslie. Hello. Welcome back to Round Hill Radio. Thank you. What a treat to be here. Oh, we're so glad to have you here. And I remembered to hit record first time. <laughs> so today is already going better than it did last time. That's fun. <laughs> so we had the idea of discussing um, pastoral care because it's in the job title of your very long-winded job title, which is Interim Pastoral Associate. Yes. The first and third words, I know what those mean. Um, but when we talk about, that sounds like you're, a lot of your role is, is pastoral care. It is. Is that accurate? I love that part of this job. Yeah. What is that? What does that mean? <laughs> you know, I actually, if there is such a thing as a major in seminary, uh-huh. it is pastoral care. Really? Um, yeah. And um, particularly with women, believe it or not. Although there's really no difference between pastoral care with women and pastoral care with men. Okay. It is basically what I what I learned then was the phrase of being a non-anxious presence in an anxious environment. Aha. Uh-huh. So to learn how to do that and to be a non-anxious presence mm-hmm. with someone else mm-hmm. so that whatever is happening in them can emerge mm. is a holy act. Now, I will say when I was in graduate school and I had, was in school with a lot of divinity school students and they had to do, I'm going to get the initial, I think it was CPE. Yeah. Is that what that is? Clinical pastoral education. And they would go and like do it at hospitals. And I remember that being, talk about anxious, the most stressful time it seemed like during their seminary experience. For most did you seminarians find- in the ordination process, you have to do at least what they call one unit. I did actually a total of about two years. I did a a full year of it as well. Yeah. Um, You, it's, it's, it's a clinical based um, internship where you go in and you are actually a student chaplain in rooms with patients, but then you take the, the clinical part is actually going in and then going over some of the conversations that you've had in verbatims in Uh your group cohort of other students so you're looking and they say well why did you respond this way what was coming up for you that you responded this way interesting and look at different ways about how you can be more effective so Uh to get ourselves out of the way which is crucial right so that we can be there for whatever is emerging from the person that was going to be my next question of how how much of yourself and your own experiences I was going to use the word baggage <laughs> do you <laughs> that's the only thing I can think of do you bring into that experience because I feel like because I, I feel like there's part of showing up as a whole person right. and there's also part of showing up for that other person in a way that doesn't bring your moments that might come up for you into that moment I didn't say that very eloquently, but I think you know what I meant. <laughs> sure, sure, absolutely. And the thing is, every single person does that in our relationships, right? Where right. We, we talk and something in the other person brings up something in me. Sure. And the question is, how much will you pay attention to that? How much are you even out of control with being able to prevent yourself from reacting? Mm. So the key is awareness, mm-hmm. right? So if you, are, if you and I are aware of what's going on in us... Mm-hmm 
and can sit with that, then we have a much better opportunity to actually be there for what the other person needs us to be. Mm-hmm. So pastors and people who are out in, in ministry are not trained therapists. That's right. not what we're there for. Yeah. But to be a really good listener so that, again, whatever the Spirit is doing amongst us mm-hmm. can emerge and be listened to without all the extra baggage, as you say, mm-hmm. coming out. So, right. but, but the key is, is awareness. Right. So, and that clinical pastoral education area allows us to look at, okay, so, ooh, this was, I responded because I got anxious because this person reminds me of my father or my mother in sure. this case. So I reacted to them versus letting them, where it was, had nothing to do with me, mm-hmm. they can then explore with the person, mm-hmm. if they get themselves out of the way, really what's happening for the person. Right. So then how, how do you listen? Like other, other tips and tricks you would share with other people about how do we, how do we actively listen to each other? Cause I feel like that may be something we are losing as a culture. <laughs> so many people, I mean, we just experienced it in the women's retreat this weekend of mm. people feeling not having felt not seen mm-hmm. in so long, whether it's through COVID or just with the busyness of society, just to be able to be present with someone mm-hmm. is so difficult and it takes practice. Right. So to listen without um, trying to think in your head of what you're going to respond to next when the person's sharing. <laughs> right. But to really focus on what they're saying mm-hmm. and just being still is... It's a sacred practice that that has to be practiced, right? right, right. So, for instance, um, I went to visit with my husband. I went to visit a friend of his who's dying. And um, you could see, I was just kind of sitting in the back because I'm not as close to her as he is. It's, this is a colleague of his. Um, I was aware in the room of the different energies that were going on Mm because people are devastated that this woman is dying. And we were basically, when we got there, she said, I'm I'm basically here to say goodbye Mm -hmm. because we don't know how much longer she has left. And she's relatively young. So I was watching the anxiety and different people and and their fear over her saying things that might be, you know, they they didn't want to hurt her by, you know, having her. But with my being more not detached but just able to kind of stand back and have a little bit of uh space yeah I could ask her you know what is this like for your 24 year old son Mm -hmm. and then to have her open up all the stuff and and the other people in the room that were more sensitive and more connected with her Mm -hmm. were kind of like (gasps) but then they kind of relaxed when they saw that she really needed to share this Mm. And how she loved having her son just laying in in the bed next to her and just kind of stroke her leg. It was lovely. But again, if it had been somebody who was close to me, maybe I wouldn't have felt that comfortable in doing that. Right. You know. Right. So to be able to talk to somebody and to listen without my stuff coming up, Mm -hmm. I think that's something that every human being can practice more, right? And it's a gift that you give to the other person. It really is, yeah. And I think there's also something about how that's very contrary to the way our culture currently is, where I feel like we wear busyness almost like a crown. And when the power of stopping and looking Mm -hmm. and listening, I mean, it's like crossing the road, right? You stop and you look and you see that person, you listen. It puts me in mind of when... 
um, we, you know, we've been in sort of, as the Brits call it, lockdown for so long. And I had a first face-to-face conversation. I had a really difficult time looking people in the eye because I've been staring at a Zoom camera for so long and kind of looking all over. And I realized I hadn't looked a person other than the person I live with in the eye in probably six months. And so what did it feel like? It felt so weird. So more than weird, what what was happening? It was like, it it felt a little invasive. It felt like, oh, you're, you're really looking at me. Right. You know, and it like, it took me a minute to, you know, I feel like in social situations we can maybe like armor up a little bit and sort of put on our, our social mask of like, Mm -hmm. here is how I like to present myself to society today. Um, and I felt like I had not done that in so long and the shock of the pandemic, I think was kind of a reset for a lot of people. And that gave us a lot of time to think about what we wanted and who we are and, and, that sort of uncomfortable time with ourselves that when it was like, Oh, you're seeing me, but you're seeing a different me than you probably saw six months ago, right? which is so interesting and was very uncomfortable for probably a month. Yeah. It's a lot of vulnerability. We did this thing at the women's retreat, Mm -hmm. which people were probably when I first introduced it, (laughs) were freaking out. Yeah. But we, I had them stand, you know, social distance apart with a partner Mm -hmm. and, hold their hearts so Mm. that they're grounded and we just looked into each other's eyes for 30 seconds without any words that's such a long time if you're not saying anything eternity (laughs) and and i said you know i just said on the microphone i said just stay with it you know and people started crying oh my gosh because they felt seen so even that's Mm. the listening without even words right being spoken and then we had may your suffering come to an end Mm. may you feel deeply loved for indeed you are. Yeah. And then we switched roles and the other person said it. And then we went on to another person. They're like, we have to do this again. Oh, funny. <laughs> but people felt seen and heard, believe it or not. What was the experience of leading that retreat for you? Because I know sometimes when we're in a leadership role, we're not, we're thinking ahead and we're thinking yeah. through logistics. So did you have moments that you were able to feel present in that experience or were you more facilitating and keeping an eye on everyone and being more of a caregiver? Well, so just in case people don't know, we, we led a retreat on Pat Milo and I led a retreat this past weekend on self-compassion. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I've been working on in an intensive look at self-compassion and practicing it over the last few months. And then we've been doing the compassion series and sermon, mm-hmm. uh, over the next, uh, over the last, what, 12 weeks or whatever, or, yeah. or 10 weeks, whatever it's been. Yeah. So it's been on my mind. Sure. Um, and preparing for it helped me kind of think ahead so that I could be present mm-hmm. with whatever was emerging there. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that did allow me to kind of step back and not be thinking any further than what was happening in the moment mm-hmm. was to go around and ask people what their feeling words right then. And have people just say, so where are you right now? What are a couple of feeling words that mm-hmm. you're experiencing? And to have people express those and be able to be in the present moment was very um, lovely. And it fed my soul 
Mm-hmm. And then the other piece too is Pat Milo led one of the three meditation pieces that we did um, or learning sessions. And so that allowed me to be a participant oh, nice. too. So it was, it was really lovely. And there was yoga. Um, so it was really a time for people just to kind of take a breath. Mm-hmm. We had, you know, food that was given for people so that they didn't have to cook when they went home. There was a simultaneous children's retreat on self-compassion. Um, and so the idea was to have people be able to come and literally, I mean, like I said, okay, so write down whatever you need to put on the shelf during this next three hours yeah. on a card and leave it there. You yeah. can pick it up on the way out, but for this moment, these three hours, this can be put on the shelf. And people are like, that. can I, can I have a couple of cards? <laughs> <laughs> I can make a whole right. list. So, but it was interesting at the end, they said, you know, when I was doing kind of a verbal evaluation, mm-hmm. um, people said, would you have done this with a mixed gender group? Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, women probably have a harder time with self-compassion, but men need this too. Yeah. Everybody needs self-compassion. Absolutely. And listening where you don't have the answers necessarily. That's the other thing about listening. Mm. Listening without an answer in mind. Just letting the question be. Listening instead of waiting to speak. Yeah, because in an, in an anxious society, we want... Um, answers yeah so that we feel secure sure right and our country has been and our world has been in anxiety over the last how many years so people want answers that's when um sometimes in in church culture Mm -hmm. people go to more conservative like this is the answer Mm -hmm. this is Mm -hmm. you know there are no gray areas it's either black or white right so this is what the answer is sure but living in the gray yeah the mystery is much more difficult and it requires um, an openness of heart and a living in flux yeah and letting the spirit kind of move us along I think that's so interesting because when I think about our community here I think about how from the top down no one pretends to have all the answers mm. And that's I think what I love about this place. I love that about I this know. place too. It's really special. It really is. <laughs> and it's one of those things. And I think, I think I've, I have been critical of communities that believe they have all the answers, but I think something in what you said helped me find a moment of compassion because there is something really attractive and enticing about someone saying they have the answers. Right. When things are confusing and scary, someone saying I have all the answers and I will, you know, it's all going to be like this. And, but you, you know, know what we do when we do that? We, we set aside our own responsibility right. for learning and our own spiritual journey of, well, what is God saying to me in this time? Or what is God saying in this community as yeah. it emerges? And in Reformed traditions, which are traditional progressive communities, mm-hmm. it's we believe God, the Word of God is always changing mm-hmm. and not the word is changing, but the way it's revealed. Sure. Get the, we are reformed and always reforming. Yeah. That the, the, the continues to be a revelation, right. which is scary to a lot of people. Right. Right. That's how we got to a place of embracing more LGBTQ, mm-hmm. you know, women, mm-hmm. where, you know, back a long time ago, slavery was accepted as a biblical thing. Mm-hmm. That's no longer the case because people saw that revelation continued. And mm-hmm. that's not indeed what was happening in scripture yeah and it's that's harder it's harder right it's so hard not to know yeah and Mm. i think that's okay and it's okay to say that yes but i think it's also 
you know, important to kind of go into that. So I had this visualization yesterday while you were preaching, oh of, <laughs> which was a fantastic sermon, by the way, um, of, of people and discomfort mm-hmm. and people who shy away from discomfort. Mm-hmm. Um, hi. And hi. hi. <laughs> but then I had this visualization of like discomfort as a thing and you running like a banshee right into it. <laughs> That's all I could think of. It was just me being like, I'll be over here. And you're like, no, I'm going over here. I'm going right into it. I'm going right towards it. I'm going to face it and go into it. And it was, um, it made me giggle a little bit because well, you were so excited in my mind. <laughs> at some future point, we'll talk about the Enneagram. Oh, yeah. Because my my type on the Enneagram does that. Oh, really? <laughs> We're like, we need to feel deeply. Yes. And we need to leave, lead others into feeling deeply. <laughs> and so, yeah. And, you know, quite honestly, oh I mean, I've, I've said in here, on here before, and people mm-hmm. in the congregation know that, you know, I'm... Um, I'm now this actually in December, I will have been 30 years away from a drink. Mm. So I've been in AA for 28 and a half years, 28 and three quarters years. But that program helped me be able to face with courage, Mm. my humanity. So it doesn't scare me. And in those circles in, in 12 step circles Mm -hmm. to not face that stuff means possible death. So it's a literal life and death kind of situation to be able to own Mm. the, more difficult parts of yourself and then be freed when the stakes are higher. Right. I mean, that's the hope, right? Is that we can be free of things Yeah, and be healed. Yeah. Yeah. You and I were talking about it before I have uh, to go back a little bit to the retreat. I had a question because this is so random. I was on our church. I love these conversations. It's so random. I was on our church Amazon account and I saw a bunch of journals on there Yes, and I was like, I bet that was Shannon. And (laughs) I, I I figured they were for the retreat. And I was, I love, I love, I love paper and pens and writing things down. And so I wanted to know what those were for. So we provided in a bag mm-hmm. a bunch of different things. And one pens. of them was a journal yeah. and one of them was a pen. Yeah. And there was a time after the yoga and after the first meditation that I led um, to go out and have 30 minutes in silence mm. to journal mm-hmm. or just to walk. It was a gorgeous day. Um and so some of the prompts that I gave mm-hmm. were thinking of whether, whether you wanted to write a letter to yourself about how you could be more compassionate to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some prompts such as, what do I need to forgive in myself? Or what do I, how do I need to forgive someone else? Mm-hmm. Because lack of forgiveness keeps us from being compassionate mm-hmm. to ourselves. Um, and there were some other prompts too. So it was giving people a chance to write. That's not everybody's thing, but it, it tends to be a way to go deeper sometimes than just in a conversation. Sure. Sometimes there's like what we call automatic writing mm-hmm. where you just write and you don't, you don't judge what's coming out. You just let it go. Yeah, and like- some of the great mothers and fathers of faith throughout the centuries have done that and you see this whole different spirituality coming out mm-hmm. and perhaps even the Holy Spirit writing through the words. Mm-hmm. I've even done conversations that I imagine in my head, might God might be saying back to me and doing a dialogue. Mm-hmm. And it's quite wonderful to look at. 
I later on. So I'm, I'm hoping, I don't know, no one looked at the people's journals. That's for them. That was for oh, them sure. to take home. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we'll do all this again. But. Yeah. I know. I'm so, so disappointed I couldn't be there. You need to say what you were doing. Because oh. you were in a pretty amazing situation yourself. Oh, thanks. So I was at the American Guild of Organists, or AGO, uh, National Council meeting for two straight days, but because it was in Seattle this time, because our upcoming national convention this summer is in Seattle, it meant all of Wednesday and all of Saturday were travel days. But Um, I don't know if everybody knows, you're on the National Council of the American Guild of Organists. I am. And that is extraordinary. I mean, the the level of talent that you have, number one, in leading and in playing, but also then and administratively, and not to even mention all this, oh my goodness, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they didn't see the panic 20 minutes ago when I switched. We have a new computer and I really I had to switch everything over and then it decided to not work and then magically all of a sudden work, which I don't like because it doesn't mean it means I don't know how to fix it. <laughs> that was the panic. But yes, yeah, so I um I am the Northeast Regional Counselor. There are seven regions in the American Guild of Organists and I'm the counselor of one of them. So the the region is New York up through Maine. And then we have a little bit of Canada friends, and we actually have some friends over in Europe. And then of the body of seven of us, we elect one person to serve on national council as sort of like the district, the board of regional counselors representative on national council. So how have you used listening in your own, in that world? You know, so the funny thing is I really credit this podcast with teaching me how to listen because listening is was not a natural thing for me to do. I think for me as a person who Enneagram seven is a performer shows up very much like here's my contribution to this, not how can I fully engage? It's really challenged me to um, really be fully present and listen. And those are always the best conversations because it means I, I can find questions and I can find that. And so listening and natural curiosity was always a little, a lot of a struggle, especially because for me, a lot of times I interpreted curiosity as being nosy and being rude. Um, That might be like a Southern thing I I picked up along the way. (laughs) I'm Southern too, so I get it. Yeah. It's like, oh, I don't want to be nosy. I don't want to be intrusive into someone's life. Um, So they're finding that, that fine line between being curious and interested and engaged versus like all up in your business, you know? You put your finger on the word that I was thinking of earlier, which is curiosity. Mm. Because if someone says something Mm -hmm. and you let it kind of just drop in front of you and just instead of picking it up and reacting to it, if you can be curious about it, Mm -hmm. then you have a little bit of an option to say, wow, I wonder if, (laughs) right? Instead of, well, you need to. Yeah. (laughs) But there's a lot of like, you have to be, I think, to me, I think you have to be vulnerable to get to that point instead of like reacting, which yes. we all do so naturally. And I, I do so naturally right. that when I can like be, be fully engaged in the conversation, I'll actually just out myself. Um, like five minutes ago, I got concerned that the audio wasn't going through the computer properly. Yeah. So I went over and looked at it and it pulled me out of the conversation just enough that it meant I had to really grasp for another question because I, I disengaged from what you were saying for just that brief moment to check on something that I really had to like break the, the like almost physical action of rejoining and reconnecting with what you were saying. You, you know, know, that's so interesting because I didn't notice that. Oh, funny. But 
the fact that you then had all of that going on in your head does keep you from, it does keep a person, I'm not saying you, but yeah. does keep a person from being able to be fully present, right? Right. So, because we have this dialogue, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, brilliant. You did a great job. And well, I can't believe that this is difficult or it has been difficult for you oh, because you're really so good at it. Well, I mean, we've had four years practice. So, <laughs> <laughs> thank goodness for four years of practice. Yeah. Um, which has been, I mean, really, it's such a gift to me because I feel like I've really grown through this process. So I'm just selfishly grateful. Well, and I hope that the listening audience too, the the, the community that's gathered around this podcast mm-hmm. is appreciative as well. And I hope you'll let Leslie and Ed know how much. Oh, they're so nice. Uh, <laughs> we have the nicest community ever. Have you ever gotten some negative feedback? <laughs> um, I did, have, I did have one person tell me, I can tell you really worked on your voice. Oh. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, we have all new microphones, so I think it's just that because I haven't done diddly squat. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? It's okay. It's fine. Yeah. It really is fine. You know what? You, you take what you want and you leave the rest. It's right? it's on, in the funny <laughs> in life. Yeah, right. And I enjoy, I mean, I enjoy, it is funny as a person. I did a lot, a lot of vocal training in my younger life um, that, and as I've gotten older, obviously your voice changes as you get older. So I've had to be like, oh, no, that's what I sound like now. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. <laughs> Which is fun. Because I, especially as a younger person, I was singing so much. And I'm a natural soprano. I'm a very high, I have actually a very high voice. So I would speak up here all the time. And this mm. is just how I sounded. And sort of like finding the mix and the blend and not, you know. I've, I could go on a whole yeah, tangent I've gotten about a, lo- that. a lot lower as well. And I'm a, sure. I'm trained as a voice voiceover act, uh, actor right as well so yeah and we've done some radio and is that so fun i've always so wanted to do voiceovers fun. oh my gosh mega tea green tea iced tea was one of my commercials no <laughs> really oh i got God. 500 bucks for 15 minutes of work <laughs> i wanted that was so, so i've been really into audiobooks recently i mean just always yeah and every time i do i'm like that would be so fun i always think about the experience of that person doing it the one um, gig that I got that I really feel like has been a really a gift to other people yeah. has been, um, sp- I know I'm totally forgetting, but it's, it's the, um, the voice that comes on in Plain Tree uh, Hospitals, which includes Greenwich Hospital oh. pre-surgery yeah. and in chemotherapy. Yeah. I'm the hypnotherapy voice. Are you really? Like, I am. I'm one of them. And yes. And so it's really been... <laughs> and then they You're used to do it marvel. too on airplanes yeah <laughs> for people afraid of flying they would Aww. do it so i learned how to do like this run on sentence for like 30 minutes yeah because that's how you do the hypnotherapy and oh. you know that gets people to a quieter place right so i learned the tricks of the trade but <laughs> i always panic about breathing I'm like where do you breathe i don't want well, and then that you know the the mouth chopping sounds. of your mouth yeah mouth sounds. oh i can't mm. Just eat a green apple. It'll keep you. Is that the trick? Yeah. Because <sighs> sometimes on NPR. Not that you were listening for this. I know. But you guys get, we get a smorgasbord of experiences here. Um, I think about that all the time. And every once in a while, there's somebody on NPR and you're like, oh, I can't. I can't. Oh, stop it. I'm I know. Headphones. Oh, no. <laughs> it's so annoying. It's the worst. I know. This is now we're just getting into a pet peeve rant. It's good. It's good. But getting back to listening. But getting back to listening. <laughs> we're so listening. We're engaged with each other. And we're I going know. and we're following the strings. It's I'm so a big fun. fan of yours. I'm a big fan of I yours. <laughs> Welcome to the Shannon and Leslie Love Hour. 
mutual admiration society. I like it. I like it very much. I think that's a great place to end, actually. I do too. Um, but thank you all so much for joining us on today's Roundhill Radio. Roundhill Radio is brought to you by the friends and members of Roundhill Community Church. 